0: Well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, welcome along. Thank you for tuning in. Um, it's great that we can we can be together, albeit virtually. And I'm very much looking forward to, to meeting with you all again in person very soon. We're continuing our series of parables um, this week, which we have entitled Heaven is a Place on Earth. Now, if you're completely new to this kind of thing or you're tuning in for the first time and you're not entirely sure what a parable is, um, don't worry, um, all they are is quite simply a collection of fictional stories that Jesus tells in the New Testament to illustrate what his kingdom will look like. And you'll find Jesus begins most of his parables with this, this phrase that we've become familiar with over the last few weeks, the kingdom of heaven is like dot dot dot. Now, I don't know if The Kingdom of Heaven is a phrase that you've heard before. Um, It's the title of a very good film by Ridley Scott about the Crusades. Um, But it's also a phrase that's going to help us in framing our understanding of the parables uh, and also the point in history in which Jesus is speaking. Now, part of what we've been learning in this series so far um, and what we're hopefully going to continue to learn is that the Kingdom of Heaven isn't just something up there and otherworldly, and um, with angels flowing on clouds and that type of thing, but it also refers to the here and now. Us here today, as part of Christchurch in the 21st century, a part of this kingdom which Jesus is talking about. Now, I don't know what springs to your mind when you think of the word kingdom. Um, for me, I, I picture something vaguely medieval, um, with peasants and swords and pestilence and that kind of thing. Um, But for Jesus' audience listening to him, the the idea of a physical kingdom um, was perfectly familiar to them. Um, They understood what it was like to live in a kingdom under a king or an emperor um, and all the the connotations that came with that. Whereas for us, it's a a little bit more far removed from, from our way of thinking. And so what we've been seeing over the past few weeks is that Jesus has deliberately taken this familiar idea of a kingdom and permeated it with ideas that are quite unfamiliar to the people who are listening to him. Uh, And I think it's probably something that bears remembering just as as we get into this text, that to us today, um, parables like the Good Samaritan, for instance, or maybe the parable of the Sower, they've become kind of ingrained in our minds a little bit. Um, and, and maybe sort of within our, our popular culture, it's, it's something that we find quite familiar, the phrase, "the good, he's a good Samaritan, for instance, and it's quite familiar to us. Um, but back then, <coughs> these ideas were completely radical and completely new to the people listening. And I hope that if we delve deep enough, we might still be made to sit up and think about some of these parables in a way that perhaps the first hearers would have experienced. <coughs> So let's uh, let's dive in again uh, to the parable that we had uh, that Ash very kindly read for us. Um, so we have the parable itself in, in verses twenty-four to twenty-nine, as he said, um, and then a few verses later, in private to his disciples, Jesus gives the explanation in verses thirty-six to forty-three. So I'm just going to read the first three verses again. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. <clears throat> when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So just as a kind of general outline um, as, as we go forward today, I, I just want to suggest one question that this parable should make us ask. And as a result of that, Two things that this parable should make us do. So, my first point, my question is how can the wheat and the weeds coexist? And once we've answered this, I'm hoping that this parable will, two, cause us to examine ourselves and three, cause us to persevere in our faith. So, point number one then, how can the wheat and the weeds coexist? So We've been presented with these two groups, Wheat and Weeds, and the explanation that Jesus gives us from verses 36 to 43. um, We have this metaphor which illustrates two types of people, people of God and people of the devil or people of the evil one. Um, And what we see from the first few verses is that they are quite hard to tell apart. Uh, verse 27 tells us that they're so indistinguishable that the servants didn't notice them at first because they look so similar. Now, just for a little bit of context, um, according to a couple of the commentaries, which Ash is very kind of lent me, um, there's a certain type of weed um, called da- Darnell, Darnell, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and it was, it was common in this area um, at this particular time. And the annoying thing about this weed was that it looked very similar to wheat Uh, and it wasn't until it fully flowered that you could actually distinguish them and tell them apart Uh, and what's more it it actually entwined its roots with the wheat meaning that you couldn't actually pull them apart straight away or you'd end up pulling up the good crop with the weeds Um, also during this time uh, apparently it was a thing for rival farmers to sow weeds in each other's fields i don't know why you'd want to do that but apparently it happened um, so much so um, to the point where there was a specific Roman law um, which actually forbade sowing seed in somebody else's field. Um, so that's why the idea of an enemy sowing seed in your field in verse 28 would have clicked with the people that Jesus was talking to, um, even though that might seem a little bit strange to us. Uh, now, just, just as a quick aside, I don't want to get too hung up on this, but I think it's something worth mentioning. Um, there's there's some debate um, amongst Christians and above uh, amongst Bible scholars um, about what the field actually represents in this text. Uh, the field being the place where these these two groups exist. Now, verse 38 clearly tells us that the field represents the world. Um, but if you scan down to verse 41, and Jesus narrows the parameters a little bit and refer, refers specifically to the kingdom or the church. Um, and ver- various clever people with beards and corduroy trousers Um, have argued about should the church be kept pure because the people of the devil exist kind of out there in the wider world, or is he talking about these two groups coexisting within close confines of the kingdom itself? Now, in my very humble opinion, I think there's probably room for for both viewpoints. But for the purposes of today, um, I'm just going to be talking primarily within a kingdom church type context Um, and i think based on some of the reading that i've done and and based on other areas of the bible i I don't think that's too much of a stretch Uh, i don't think it's doing the text an injustice and so it's just something to bear in mind as as we go forward so we've got children of god children of the devil existing together within the kingdom now i'm sure that sounds pretty far out um, as a as a concept It, it sounds pretty mad today i'm sure it sounded pretty crazy the first time jesus said it so if we fast forward then to our our 2021 contemporary castleford church context um i don't know if someone asked you to draw up a list of your requirements for a good church i I don't know what you'd write down and good coffee maybe comfy chairs good fellowship uh, good preaching perhaps um but i don't imagine anybody would write down on their list should contain people of satan um, but nonetheless, this is what Jesus is telling us that we're going to get. So I guess the next most obvious question would be, well, what do these people of the devil actually actually look like? Now if you're starting with the presupposition that the devil is this kind of mythical creature with a pitchfork and a pointy tail who goes around wreaking havoc and suffering, then yeah, it probably sounds a little bit silly. Um, and you, you know, you might also be sort of thinking of, of people of the devil in a kind of similar Hollywood type way. You know, people who do Ouija boards and wear black, you know. Now, I don't know where that idea entered popular culture. Um, I don't think it came from the Bible, or at least if it did, it's taken some, some serious detours along the way. Um, and admittedly, in, in scripture, we get the devil being represented through lots of different types of imagery. Sometimes he's portrayed as a snake. Uh, sometimes a lion um, or a beast of some kind. Um, but I'm not too sure that the Bible ever intended us to kind of run away with these ideas and, and pictures. <clears throat> so I just want to consider an alternative for a minute. i look very quickly at the devil as he's depicted in the Bible. I don't know if anybody's ever seen the film The Usual Suspect, um, but if you have, you'll, you'll be familiar with the famous line from from Kaiser Sose: the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Um, now, that's, that sounds quite cool and quite Hollywood, but you know, the more I kind of think about it, I think, you know what, he might have a point there. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's dive in and see what the Bible actually says about the devil himself. So right back at the beginning in Genesis 3, verse 2, we find straight away he undermines the authority of God when he tells Eve that she will not surely die if she eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He also sows doubt in the mind of Eve about the trustworthiness of God. Um, when he asks, did God really say you can't eat the fruit of the tree? You know, He just doesn't want you to have the, the knowledge that he's got. Um, skipping forward to Matthew chapter 4, the devil tempts Jesus himself by taking him to a very high mountain and showing him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he says in verse 9, if you will only bow down and worship me. So temptation is something the devil has in his armory. He tempts us with enticing things that are supposedly better than what God can offer us. And skipping forward again to John 8 verse 44, we learn that the devil deals in lies. When he, the devil, lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. So armed with this knowledge then, um, let's ask ourselves the question again, how can the church contain people of the devil? Well, ask yourself, does the church contain people that give in to temptation? Does the church contain liars? Does the church contain people that are greedy and enticed by power? Uh, does the church contain doubters, and people that aren't sure about their faith? And then maybe ask yourself the question, if you're a professing child of God, have you ever been characterized by any of those things? And so when you think about these questions a little bit more, it becomes clearer that people of God and people of the devil can coexist in perhaps closer proximity than you might think. In other words, the church is a bit of a mess. It's an eclectic mix of people and it's only in the fullness of time and through the grace and power of God that those who truly belong to him will be perfected. Uh, if you think in the church is this perfect environment full of virtuous people, then think again. One day it will be. That's why part of the reason why we've called this title of this talk, Anticipate. It will be perfect one day, but until, until then this parable tells us we're going to be in this battle against the forces of evil, both within us and outside of us. So the question is now then, what do we do with this information? Well, as I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm hoping very much that my second point, uh, this parable will make us look at our souls and examine ourselves. It's going to go back to the, the passage again, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? The enemy did this, he replied. Now, we've established the wheat and the weeds are quite hard to tell apart. So if we're thinking logically, we have to surmise from this text that it can be possible to look like, it can be possible to sound like, it can even be possible to live like a child of God, and not actually be one. To the point where even angels can't tell you apart from the true children of God. Look at verse 27 again. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? In other words, where did these people of the devil turn up from? You know, We didn't know they were there. Now, to be honest, when I was thinking about how I could illustrate this point, as tragic as it is, um, I genuinely can't think of a better way to to summarize this uh, than to talk about a guy called Ravi Zacharias. Um, now, some of you will know who I'm talking about, and your hearts maybe already sunk. Um, some of you, like me, you'll never—I hadn't heard of him until about two, three months ago. Um, but basically, Ravi Zacharias was a, a Canadian pastor, preacher, author, um, touched millions of people all over the world, so I understand it, wrote books that have been reprinted um, in loads of different languages, um, and really encouraged lots of Christians in their faith, my wife included. And he very sadly passed away um, in springtime last year, and a little bit like Jimmy Savile, I guess, um, all this sordid, horrible information came out after his death about a trail of sexual exploitation and abuse and harassment they left behind him and how he abused his position and even invoked God in justifying some of these awful things that he did now I don't know what the state of this man's heart was when he died I wasn't a fly on the wall during the conversation that he had with God but at the very least all this stuff that's come to light has to at least call into question The faith that he professed. I don't know if it eliminates it entirely, but it certainly calls it into question. This was a man that made a career out of helping people understand the Bible and no doubt the countless people to faith. If ever there was a man that looked nailed on as a piece of wheat, this was the guy. And the implication from this parable is that Everyone in the world, even angels, might be taken in by your charade and your appearance as a Christian. You might be the most convincing piece of wheat the world has ever seen to the point where millions of people listen to you. But crucially, God will not be taken in. Verse 27, where did the weeds come from? Verse 28, an enemy did this. He replied, God knew all along. God knew it was the work of the enemy and he won't be deceived. So then if you're anything like me, the burning question from this is how on earth can I be sure that I am a piece of wheat, that I am a child of God? If angels can't even tell the difference and the world can be fooled, how can I be sure I'm not fooling myself? Now we need to say straight away that this is an important question to ask. The Bible tells us clearly to examine ourselves and to work out our salvation with a certain amount of fear. So the question is then, what's a good way to examine yourself? Now, I once heard John Piper say that the, the human heart's a little bit like an onion. Bear with me, this is, this is going somewhere, I promise. Um, in so much as that when you're looking inward to, to self-examine and you start asking questions of yourself and you peel back a layer, as it were, you're just presented with more layers. You know, in other words, looking internally, to try and find the answer to whether you truly are a child of God is more likely to throw up more questions than answers. Now, incidentally, in John chapter 6, Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask quite a similar question. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? In other words, what do we have to do to make sure we're part of the wheat? Now, to make sure we're, we're children of God. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And I I think fundamentally this is one of the central points to self-examination. It's not necessarily what does your heart say about who you are, it's what does your heart have to say about who Jesus is. Do you believe in the one he has sent? Now, please don't think that I'm saying that this is a license to kind of live how you want, um, just so long as you've got belief. You know, G- Jesus clearly calls us to obedience and to live a certain way, and He tells us the fruit of our lives will show if we believe or not. You know, think back to Rabbi Zacharias; the way he lived seriously calling into question what he said he believed. But if you're like me and you're occasionally prone to panic about whether you're deceiving yourself about being part of the children of God, you know, I would encourage you. Not to look at the onion of your heart and your own works and should I have said this and should I have done that? You know, beating yourself up can often lead to paralysis, can't it? That's exactly what happened to Judas Iscariot. He was paralyzed by his guilt to the point where the only way out he could see was suicide. But thankfully, there's a far better and far more liberating alternative, which is to look at Jesus. look at what he's accomplished on the cross look at all that he says he has in store for you and ask yourself is he enough now is he like oxygen to you do you need him like you need your breath is he your only hope or is he just another facet of your life that you dip in and out of occasionally the parable of the weed should cause us to look at ourselves and examine ourselves yes but it should not cause us to rely on ourselves And the fundamental difference between the wheat and the weeds is what you decide to do with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And finally, and very briefly, as I said before, I hope this parable will encourage us to persevere. I'm going to go from verse 29. While you are pulling the weeds up, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds And tie them off in bundles to be burned. And gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. So there's clearly a day coming when the full identity of the wheat and the weed will be revealed. One day, the children of the devil are going to look far less conspicuous. And equally, the children of God are going to shine like the sun. And everything that causes sin and all who do evil will be thrown in the fire. Verse 41. The world is a mess church is a mess, but there's a day coming when the distinction will be clear, which means bluntly, we've got to hang in there. You know, there's so many Bible verses that I could have chosen to talk about the importance of perseverance, but the one I think sums this up quite succinctly comes from later on in Matthew 24, when Jesus is preaching again, and he says, quite simply, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Yes, what distinguishes the wheat from the weed is faith in Jesus, but you have to go on believing. It is not a temporal thing. The wheat starts life as grain, but it's not until it fully flowers that it's ready to be harvested. So keep going and keep holding on. You know, Maybe you're fed up with another church service online. Maybe you're fed up of not having any fellowship. Maybe your prayer life's gone cold. Maybe you're slipping into old sins and old habits, but please be encouraged and challenged at the same time to keep going because the reward is great and the alternative doesn't bear thinking about and equally if you're new to church or you're still making your mind up about some of the claims of jesus what this parable is equally saying is that there's still time for you to make a decision every day god gives us is a mercy the wheat and the weeds haven't fully grown yet the day is not yet at hand but the day is coming when the identity of both groups will be revealed. And Jesus says we'll be found on one side or the other. You know, the devil is, is very much at work in the church, as we've seen. So we need to look at ourselves and we need to persevere. But we can't do that without the help of Jesus. Uh, I just want to give a very, very quick illustration as I'm finishing, um, which uh, I feel kind of sums this up quite well. Um, if you live around here, um, in the last 12 months or so, you've, you've probably been to Nostal Priory at some point because there's literally nothing else to do. Um, and me and the family were walking around Nostal Priory the, the other week and you'll know there's a, a kind of part of the walk where you come across these huge, great fallen trees. I, I don't know what type of trees they are, um, but you know they look like the type of ones that lived for, for hundreds of years um, and they've kind of toppled over and the root, even the roots are sort of 10 feet high and they're sort of decaying and rotting into the ground. And as I kind of looked at them, I said to Holly, like, it makes me a little bit sad, to be honest. But, you know, as, as Martha runs up and starts climbing all over the blank, branches and stuff, and you look a little bit closer, you can see all these tiny little organisms and plants and shoots that are coming up that are feeding directly off the, the decaying wood that, uh, that the fallen tree is leaving behind. And I think this is, in a way, that's quite a good way to sum up our our lives as wheat, if you like. Jesus died to give us life and growth, and we feed on him as the sustenance of our faith. And it's the exact illustration we get when we take communion. And it was his sacrifice which gives us hope. But crucially, it's because he lives that we can look forward to the day when we're going to shine like the sun in his kingdom.
1: Cheers, guys. Thanks for sticking around. If you've stuck around um at home, thanks for the message, Joe. Welcome along, Jude. You're very welcome. Um, thanks. That was I'm just thinking that was I don't know, I reckon I don't know what I don't know what Paul would say, but I think that was one of the, the harder one of the harder parables, Joe. I think you copped for it there. I think that's um
0: Yeah, there's a reoccurring theme there, I seem to know.
1: Do you know when it's, uh, somebody comes along, like first day at work, somebody comes along for the first time, and you go, "Let's give yeah. them this to do." I felt, you know, yeah. but it's, um, but a real sort of not just not just a challenge, um, but a real sort of underneath the challenge is like a real excitement, real en- encouragement. I think at mm-hmm. at knowing knowing how this how this works out, and I keep on being, I keep on. I think I mentioned this at the start. I keep on being. Encouraged that these parables seem to shed a lot of um, a lot of truth, you know, a lot, shed a lot of light on how things actually are. It, you know, they they must have sounded, you know, back, you know, to first hearers, Joe, like really, they must, you know, they would have understood where Jesus was coming from, talking, you know, with his agricultural language. But some of the some of the way that they The king. Some of the way that Jesus described the kingdom working out, they must have thought, "I don't really, I can't really begin to see this." But yet, as 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 you see the sort of descriptions that we're getting, like a mustard seed, really small, getting really, getting really big. And here with the idea that this grace for us, you know, what I mean, that that God's that Jesus sort of comes, but doesn't come. He comes with you know with grace that screams and judgment to follow. But for the moment, you know grace and you sort of see it really clearly in these in these parables so thanks for, for sharing that what what are your guys thoughts on so we talked about I think you described him Joe um, as the enemy um, and then we talked you talked a little bit about temptation what's your what were your first thoughts of the devil when you were a kid how did you how do you see how do you see the devil any thoughts you two
0: I'll, I'll let you go first Jude go on <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought it was really helpful the way you unpacked that in the in the talk, Joe. Um, the idea of 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 uh, what what the devil uses as his tools, um, his deception, um, that he's a liar and things like that. And I and I think there's a huge difference between them the cartoon uh Hollywood uh, version and um yeah, and and the reality of what that's like. I think what you were saying, Ash, about the these parables and the kind of reality of what we see. Actually, we see that the world isn't isn't the way it sh- it should be, and we see people behave in a way that they shouldn't behave. Um, yeah, and and I think that at times that speaks of of the brokenness of the world that the sin that sin causes, but I think it also speaks of the the work of the devil in terms of his ability to break things down break you know what what was intended for good to manipulate it in such a way that it's it's broken down
0: yeah i think kind of the the more i get old it sounds kind of archaic and outdated you know the, the yeah. works of satan
2: oh yeah
0: but the more you can't
2: freeze in my vocabulary really.
0: no it's not it's not you know it's not one you often even hear in church like it's, it sounds a bit daft and to be honest when i was younger i don't really, really think i give it a second thought to be honest mm-hmm. but you know m- the more you kind of look at the world around us and see some of the some of the depths of evil that that human mm-hmm. beings are capable of I, I think it's probably only natural to surmise that it's satanic to some degree you know i think one thing i was thinking about when i was drawing the talk up was you know everything that happened in the, the scandal in the Catholic church in Boston and all the cover-ups and the, the horrible child sexual abuse that went on and I'm kind of thinking, I can't really think of another way to phrase that other than satanic really, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. which is is kind of strange in a way when you think about how it occurred.
2: We don't yeah. often use, we don't I think like, uh, we don't often use the phrase, uh, you know, the work of the devil, but we often use the word evil. That's in our popular culture. I think yeah, that's right. like newspapers, you know, when a really tragic, awful event has happened, yeah. we are, I think maybe we're more comfortable with labeling something as evil. Do you think that's true.
0: I think it is true. Yeah. But everybody's got their own standard of what that looks like, which I think maybe convolutes the issue slightly. But I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we, it's, you know, it's something you see in, in newspaper headlines everywhere. You know, something, it was, something. That was helpful, evil.
1: Joe it was helpful, Joe. How are you? So when you when you first when you sort of breached the subject of the devil, so you sort of gently said both both we could think of it as the world and we could think of it as church. And I agree. I think both you know there's there's, there's a sense in which both of those can be true. But we do when you when you went down that road, I was um, the, the, you initially imagine like you imagine the great evil, and we can all we can go to you know the kind of examples that you've given of the Catholic Church and others, and you kind of see it. But it does, the parable does cause you to examine, I thought that was really helpful, the parable does cause you to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who needs to examine themselves, and that is kind of one of the things that the the Bible does, it it sort of levels the pla you know, because it's a grace-soaked message, because it reaches everyone, it, it levels everything out, doesn't it? So we can't, we, and you, I thought you did that really well, where you sort of said, look over here, and then you went, oh, but actually, we're all we're all a little bit touched by this, and we all We're all growing up, you know, in, in this mess and we are all, you know, we, we all need to take a look and we, because I think, I think as well it was helpful to sort of think it through because we're growing up, you know, as you described the weeds, which I think is the reality of it. It does make it, it makes it come, you know, it's confusing and it's, and it's difficult. And we are near temptation, you know, a lot of the time. And the way you described the, the quote from, what was the film? Um, Usual Suspects. Yeah. Usual Suspects, Kaiser Associate. Yeah, just, I didn't know it was from that film, but I've heard the quote before, and yeah, it does sound, it sounds unlikely at first, and then you think, actually, you know, that the idea that the devil is a liar and attempt to, um, you know, and he's sort of t- telling his lies. You know, he's mm-hmm. not, out, he doesn't want us to think of him, doesn't help him for us to think of him as a, like the Man United. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Man United mascot don't know what the score is Um, but you know the Man United mascot it doesn't help us to think of him like that it helps us you know he's better suited if we don't think of him at all
0: yeah he doesn't want you to think think. think of him like that I don't think it's, you know I'm sure he doesn't want you getting hung up on being afraid of him to be honest he'd much rather you think as little about him as possible um, and go on living your life and depend on yourself and do whatever you want to do just don't consider the claims of Jesus and yeah I think you'll probably be quite happy
1: um, any thoughts on what it means to examine ourselves then what what's that look like for you two? you know how do we how do we go about that because nobody that's really the bible does confront us sometimes doesn't it when it asks because you always do the whenever you think about evil or the work of the devil or anything like that it's just you just go immediately human nature to go it's something as bad as you know as the Catholic priests or Ravi Zacharias or something like that but how do we actually dare to look, look in at ourselves how how do we do that
2: yeah Can I think I it? think it I think it's really tough because the minute you almost uh, you look in you start to to judge other people and put yourself on a scale of eh, I'm not that bad <laughs> do you know so I, I, I think that the the being judgmental of others as we try and justify our our own shortcomings is is really really difficult but Mm -hmm. i think um i think what joe was saying about uh looking to jesus is is a is a a huge a huge bar but an inspiring bar to to go for and a great leveler in terms of how we examine examine ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, i thought that was really helpful joe Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think alternatively as well, you could you may be tempted to think I'm I'm too bad, you know. Some, some yeah, of us that might think true. I'm not as bad as this next guy, or well, some of us might think I'm I'm too terrible and, and too awful. And like you mm-hmm. say, it's a it's a great leveler. Um, you know, everybody has their own definition and their own understanding of justice, but like you say, the gospel is is for everybody. and um, and so it, it has to put everybody on a level playing field to some degree.
2: Yeah,
1: and I look. Uh, go on, Jude. I,
2: I like. Uh, I was just thinking about that idea of justice today. That that we all kind of call for justice, especially when we see great terrible acts like the ones we've mentioned already, and we go, "Justice must be done." But we kind of want want our own justice to be done. And I think when we look to God in those things, actually, we put ourselves under the authority of His justice and actually his justice is never um never too harsh or never too uh, slack do you know like it's the perfect response and yeah i think that putting looking to god more than looking to our own how we would resolve it is is the challenge i think what were you going to say ash
1: yeah no i agree i was just um just looking at the clock and i was conscious that the, the sort of the the title of the of the talk was "Anticipate," and as just as I was hearing you preach, Joe, and thinking, with you know having this word upon my screen, and thinking through, you know what that would mean. I, sometimes we just um, the Christian life can feel just like wait is waiting for God. That used to be a TV series, didn't it? You just there's just a sense in which you just you wait for it to come, but actually, this parable causes does cause us to. I love how it ends. Uh, the last verse. Says um, the righteous will sh- then the righteous, after all this has happened, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. There's a sense that that is something to anticipate and not just wait for. And I, I think that's been a help. helpful thing, helps might help us with our. But you called us to persevere, Joe. I think, uh, how do we do that? I think one of the ways that we can carry on going is to be people who are. I had a quick look on merriam Webster to see what anticipate meant and there's just this idea that you just throw yourself into getting excited about it and I think we can do that you know we can do we can do that it's a story that causes us to do that I don't I think there's an encouragement for us not just to sit and wait on our hands and and just like oh you know why don't you come God there's a sense in which it's great and it's going to happen and we can we can live in anticipation of it in the same way we do for the end of lockdown. You know, the idea that we're just already talking about um, where we're going to go and eat. We're already talking about who we're going to meet up with. And we just, just that's the chat the whole time. And it's probably the only way you can get through, isn't it? To the end of lockdown by talking about how you're going to anticipate or anticipating its end. And I think there's an encouragement for us with the kingdom to live in anticipation of it to to live that all the time to make it part of our chat to be encouraged by it and those sorts of things sorry that was uh, in my notes that was a question and i just went straight (laughs) my apologies so how do we
2: how do we do this ash because i'm like i'm with you i'm like yeah 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 i want to anticipate it i want to be excited about it rather than ache for it because in my heart often it's an ache of ah. I want things to be better than they are, how do we live excited, anticipated?
1: I think one, one of the ways then just on the back of this is that knowing that, knowing that justice will come, I think particularly in the days that we live in just now, that is cause to, to give, to give me such hope because um, I think when I think about how justice might ever happen in our world I just every time I, I run down the road of how we're we gonna end poverty how we're we gonna end you know inequality or racism or whatever else it is and I just always see as I just always see it as being impossible and it's so depressing but yet the fact that um, the fact that I can rest in the fact that God's gonna bring justice and in doing that, deal with me you know at the same time i think it's exactly as joe says i i go back to that story of of the cross and i'm just like i just rest rest in that as much as i can just go phew thank goodness that that's the story and justice doesn't depend on politicians coming up with answers or me trying to live a good life and um, the gospel you know, jury manders. It doesn't. We've still got to be obedient. We've still got. We've still got a direction of travel. I think we've still got callings and all that sort of stuff. But it's outside of our means um, to achieve it. And I think, I think you. I think part of the story of a Christian is just to keep reflecting on that. Just to keep going over and over that ground again. We just forget that tale. So we forget the brilliance of of salvation. We forget the peace that comes, and we forget all that. We forget the forgiveness that you know that is ours in Jesus. And I think just to dwell on that is. Part of, the, part of the anticipation. Be excited about the coming again of the king. Um, I think that's about as far as we should go. Um, Trying not to sound too much like a local news <laughs> local news reader. Cheers, Joe. Thanks everyone for joining us. Have a great Thanks, week joining again next week for the last in the series.
0: Thanks for tuning in. See everybody soon.
2: See you later.